Hey, everybody. It is Monday, October 9th. You're listening to a special edition of the Mo News Podcast. Yes, that's me. I'm back. It's Mosh. <laughs> he is back. Hey, everybody. I'm Jill Wagner. Mosh, welcome back from your paternity leave. Now, as I mentioned on the podcast on Friday, we were planning to come back together tomorrow on Tuesday, but we decided that we really needed to do a special edition today just because we've been hearing from so many people who are looking for real information and context about what is happening in Israel right now. Yeah, such a tragedy over the weekend, uh, and things will continue to escalate in the coming days. Uh, Jill, I should say, by the way, before we get started there, appreciate the time off. It's been quite a whirlwind becoming a father these past couple of weeks, an amazing one. Uh, first, I just want to say I'm so proud of Alex, so incredibly lucky to be her husband, to be able to welcome baby Olivia into the world. I'm one lucky father, one lucky husband. And we'll discuss all my initial lessons of fatherhood in the coming days. But I will say this, especially given the events of the weekend that we'll be discussing in this pod, that looking into your child's eyes at a time like this is pretty incredible. I have mixed emotions, right? You're scared for them. What is this world that I've brought you into? But at the same time, hope that your generation can fix this place that we're giving you. Just a, There's a, a lot of heavy emotions as a first-time father watching tragedy in the news. I think that's really well said. I found myself as well, even just glued to the TV, glued to my phone, uh, social media, Instagram, trying to find out information. And I'm watching just these horrific images. And it's hard to turn away. But then I would see my daughter or my son kind of like calling me, mom, look at this. Do, what, what, you know, I need your help on this, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's hard to put everything away. But at the same time, it's like, no, you're alive. <laughs> Live. Yeah. I mean, this is what life is about. Um, and so it is just kind of this crazy dichotomy, especially I think when you feel a story personally, when you're mm -hmm. a journalist and you're covering something like this, um, and then you have your life to live as well. Yeah, you're sifting through these tragic images. And in this case, a story that um, sadly, many children have died. Some have been kidnapped as part of this. And we'll get into that here. And, you know, you stare into your daughter's eyes. In this case, my daughter's 15 days old. And I'm like, take a deep breath. Like, you know, like they can feel your vibe and, you know, reset yourself. And so it just, you know, this is a whole separate podcast we'll get into at some point. Also, as journalists that have to go through all this terrible information to tell people about it, because some people have the pleasure in their life of being able to ignore <laughs> these types of things. We do not. In fact, this is why we do what we do. Uh, but that was one of the many things I've been feeling this weekend. And so, um, again, appreciate the time off, Jill. Thanks for captaining the ship for the past couple of weeks. There's been no shortage of headlines as I've been listening and uh, looking forward to being back. Well, it is really good to have you back. I hate that this is the story to have you back on, but I am glad that you're here because your insight is so valuable. Uh, so let's just get to it. And I wanted to start with a, a state of play. And this is as of Sunday night, Eastern time. A lot could change by Monday morning, our time, especially given the time difference. But here's what we know so far. Israeli officials confirm at least 700 Israeli civilians and members of the military have died since the Hamas terrorist group launched an unprecedented attack on Israel from Gaza early Saturday morning. Another 2,200 people have been wounded. According to CBS News, the Israeli Rescue Service said that its paramedics removed about 260 bodies 
alone from a music festival that was attended by thousands of people. And that music festival came under attack by Hamas terrorists. That figure, by the way, expected to go up even higher as other paramedic teams were working in the area. Separately, more than 100 Israelis have also been taken hostage. A Hamas senior official says over 130 Israelis are now held in the Gaza Strip. This was the deadliest day in decades in the long-running Israel-Palestinian conflict. Hamas confirmed Sunday more than 400 Palestinians have died and 2,200 were wounded from Israeli counterstrikes. The Israeli government formally declaring war Sunday and gave the green light for, quote, significant military steps to retaliate against Hamas for its surprise attack. The military, though, at least again as of Sunday night, still battling some terrorists that are holed up in several locations inside of Israel. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says as many as a thousand Hamas fighters were involved in Saturday morning's assault, which underscores the extent of planning that went into it. So what actually happened? Hamas, which is a terror group that rules the Gaza Strip, carried out this unprecedented multi-front attack on Israel at daybreak on Saturday firing thousands of rockets as dozens of Hamas fighters infiltrated the heavily fortified border in several locations by air, land, and sea. They caught Israel completely off guard. It was a major holiday, Simchat Torah, a normally joyous day when Jews complete the annual cycle of reading the Torah scroll. The terrorists crossed into Israeli communities on motorcycles, paragliders, and pickup trucks. They stormed into an estimated 22 separate locations in southern Israel, shooting people in the streets, abducting both civilians and Israeli security forces, and then taking them back to Gaza. The descriptions from victims are horrific of terrorists just going door to door, burning down homes shooting entire families, taking children, elderly hostage at a music festival that I mentioned. It was at a rural farmland area near the Gaza-Israel border, which was supposed to be this all-night dance party celebrating the Jewish holiday. And the theme was peace this year. Attendees say that there was just nowhere to hide, that terrorists basically opened fire. One person who survived said that it was, quote, like a shooting range with victims just falling to the ground. Uh, Mosh, just unimaginable stuff. The the pictures, the, the videos that I've seen, it's like it, it's hard to watch, but you also in some ways want to pay respects to the what happened. Uh, can you just put this into context for us? It, this is being called Israel's 9-11 or Israel's Pearl Harbor. Yeah, it's it's been called both, uh, both surprise attacks in American history. They killed thousands of Americans, and it has elements of both here, uh, the surprise nature of it. For some context here, Israel is a small country, uh, both in terms of land and population, about 9 million people compared to the U.S., which has 350 million. So just to give you a sense of per capita, these numbers, which are astounding on their own, 700 deaths, and that number continues to go up uh, and rising, that's the equivalent in a country like the U.S., of 25,000 Americans being killed in one incident. That's like eight 9-11s at this point. Jill, you described the horrific um, aspects of the attack, the murdering of civilians, the kidnapping of entire families, uh, the murdering of entire families, the elderly, the disabled, who woke up Saturday morning on a Jewish holiday to terrorists grabbing them, um, threatening them, killing family members. This has, by the way, if we're talking about tragedies from history, also eerie similarities to the Holocaust. And If you look at the numbers here, this is the deadliest day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust. 
Uh, and again, with the killing of just arbitrarily of children and the elderly, uh, it has hallmarks of that. There was a stirring image that was on the cover of a number of newspapers of an Israeli woman at that concert you mentioned, where they murdered hundreds of people being put on a motorcycle and driven off by Hamas fighters. By the way, many of these images and videos, they were taken by Hamas fighters because they were proud of what they were doing and they posted online. So a lot of this is coming from the terrorists themselves. And this is a shock to a country where almost all citizens serve in the military. It's known for its military and intelligence prowess. That's something that a lot of Israelis take pride in. This was a massive intelligence failure, how this could have happened. And so you had those horrific scenes played out on Saturday morning, the religious holiday in Israel, notably, uh, and this is one other symbolic thing here, the last surprise attack on Israel at this scale that killed hundreds of Israelis in a single day, 50 years ago this weekend, the Yom Kippur War, that's when Syrian and Egyptian militaries invaded Israel on that holy day, uh, leading to a very long war, many casualties, really one of the most traumatic days, if not, in Israeli history until this Saturday. And it, the timing of this, definitely not a coincidence here when it comes to Hamas planning. I just want to get back to one of the things that you just mentioned, the question, how did this happen? Israel, known for its really incredible intelligence service, and yet seemed to be taken completely by surprise. There are some reports that Hamas had been preparing for this for over a year. And I just outlined the sheer scope. So how did they miss this? Right. That is the big question right now being asked inside Israel by all citizens. And that includes friends and family that I have there. Uh, just in a state of shock right now and horror at what's happened. As far as Hamas, the assumption from the Israeli government, this is the terrorist group that manages, that runs, governs Gaza, in the last 18 months or so, was that Hamas was refraining from starting another war, that they had been so decimated uh, back in May of 2021, the last time Hamas launched a war in Israel, that Hamas was ready to become a slightly more responsible governing authority of that territory. The Israeli hope was that despite the fact that Hamas is a sworn enemy that literally was formed back in the 80s to destroy Israel and continues to have that as a main tenet of the organization, that the Israelis are dealing with reality here, that Hamas runs Gaza. We'll get a little more into the history there in a second. And so they're the facto government. And so, you know, clearly they may be more responsible than to start effectively a suicide war because ultimately the Israeli counter strike is going to be massive here. Uh, as far as why the Israelis missed this, well, in the last few barrages of missiles from Gaza came from a competing terror group, Islamic Jihad. Hamas refrained from it. Israel's like, Hamas, sit out, and we won't assassinate your leaders. Hamas sat out. So it seems like the Israelis took their eye off the ball here, made some assumptions here. It turns out that all the quiet Hamas had done for the last year was for a purpose. It was a ruse. They were planning this massive operation. The Wall Street Journal has some really interesting reporting over the weekend that Hamas leaders uh, were having meetings with the Iranians. Iran is a huge funder, huge provider of weapons to Hamas. Uh, and there were meetings in Lebanon with Hamas, another terror group, Hezbollah, and Iran. And Iran was helping them plan this attack. Iran also sees Israel as an enemy that needs to be destroyed. They see America as an enemy. And so ultimately, they're having these planning meetings. Um, all the while, Israel, assuming Hamas is quieted down, and Israel also, you know, has to look at some other challenges. They're having more issues in the West Bank of late. This is a different area over in the eastern part of the country where another 5 million Palestinians live. 
It's growing increasingly unstable there. There's a lot of shootouts recently between Israeli civilians and Palestinian civilians there. Uh, Hamas is gaining strength in the West Bank. So Israel, thinking Hamas is chilling out in Gaza. Israel, more focused on the West Bank. On top of that, when we've covered this on this podcast, Israel has this huge major political debate happening right now about judicial reform, about Supreme Court reform. It's led to massive protests in the country. So Israel is a bit distracted with its own internal political issues. Well, with all of that, uh, clearly uh, Hamas here planning this huge thing. And it again reminds me, we mentioned 9-11, Jill, uh, of the U.S. failure to imagine what was happening with al-Qaeda in the lead up to 9-11. Al-Qaeda in that lead up had done terror attacks on U.S. embassies, on a U.S. ship. The idea that they had 19 hijackers within the U.S. doing flight training and they're going to fly commercial planes into buildings was unfathomable for most people. And so, you know, I think that if you told most Israelis, Hamas is going to attack with hundreds of fighters paragliding in, take hundreds of uh, kidnap people, murder hundreds of Israelis, like get out of here. There's no way they could figure that out. On that note, according to some Israeli media, they have captured some of these terrorists within Israel and they've started to talk. And they've said, the terrorists themselves have said, they did not think that it was going to go as well from their perspective as it did. They thought that they were going to be met with resistance, whether they were bulldozing the fence that divides Gaza and Israel, um, just in, in every aspect of it. They were absolutely shocked that they were met with pretty much no resistance. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you look at previous operations by Hamas here, they might kill a soldier or two. They were able to kidnap successfully a couple soldiers uh, more than a decade ago. But the fact that they were literally, you know, walking families back into Gaza and they had no resistance on this Jewish holiday with very little, it appears, Israeli security or military there was really shocking to them. Interestingly, in a, a question we've gotten a lot on Instagram, Jill, why now? Why did Hamas choose now to do it? So we've mentioned the holiday. Uh, we've mentioned that they f- effectively lulled the Israelis into a state of complacency here in, in terms of the Israeli government. The other thing that's important to note right now is uh, you've seen an opening up of relations with Israel and a number of Arab countries in the region. Arab countries that for the most part, just rhetorically have said, oh, we support the Palestinian cause, we support our Muslim brothers, our Arab brothers. Well, in recent years, you've had the Moroccans, the Bahrainis, United Arab Emirates, uh, which includes Dubai and Abu Dhabi, open up diplomatic relations with Israel. And right now, there's major negotiations happening with Saudi Arabia, the home of Islam, and Israel, and the US. And clearly here, Iran, which by the way, is a sworn enemy of Saudi Arabia, and uh, you have Hamas sitting there being like, wow, people don't really care about our cause anymore. We better do something before the Saudis make peace with Israel. And so that timing here, allowing Hamas to figuratively and literally blow up that peace process, certainly a factor here. Mosh, can you just back up, though, and give a quick 101 on who is Hamas? How is that different from just Palestinians? What is the relationship? Just kind of walk us through it. Yeah, important to understand here. So the Palestinians are are the people, the Arabs who come from this region who've been there for centuries. There are about two and a half million in the Gaza Strip, about five million in the West Bank. Uh, about two million Palestinians are actually citizens of Israel, uh, Arab Israelis. Then you also have another six million other Palestinians across the Middle East, living in places like Lebanon, Jordan, etc. cetera. Uh, the Palestinians have a governing authority. And so they have the Palestinian Authority, which once controlled both the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Those are the two territories that they hope will make up a future state. But then you have terrorist groups that uh, began as military groups, but in the case of Hamas, have become a governing authority. So Hamas started out as a 
terrorist group in the 80s in the territories, an Islamist group. They uh, share a lot of the same philosophy as al-Qaeda, as ISIS, not as far as the Taliban, but similar viewpoints on that, an authoritarian Islamist rule. They see violent uprising against Israel as the only way for Palestinian independence. And that, as far as Hamas means, no Israel whatsoever, no Jewish state. They see that entire piece of land is theirs. There is no peace in the region unless the Palestinians control everything. One note about Hamas, it grew in strength and influence throughout the 90s. They were one of the first groups to adopt suicide bombing as a tactic. It was effectively invented by Hezbollah in Lebanon in the 80s. Hamas adopts it. Interesting note, at that time in the 90s, al-Qaeda, bin Laden, still wasn't sure whether suicide bombing was proper, according to the Quran. He thought it might go too far. Of course, they would eventually adopt that. Hamas, they looked at Hamas saying, well, if Hamas is doing it, maybe we should consider it. And so they conducted these various terrorist operations while the Palestinian Authority, you might remember Yasser Arafat, controlled um, the government there for many years with his death and the downfall of the authority and growing Palestinian frustration that they were not getting a country, the peace process was not working in their favor, Hamas grows an influence there. By the way, I should pause here and note the Israeli government, like Hamas, is a counterweight to the Palestinian Authority. So there have been times, including most recently, where the Israeli government, including the current government of Benjamin Netanyahu, has built up Hamas to a certain extent. They also see certain parts of Israelis who don't want eventual peace see Hamas being strong as a good thing because they're so extremist, you can't make peace with them. So it's a very complex thing as you're listening to this. Uh, but where Hamas really became powerful here, 2005. In 2005, Israel pulls out of the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip, again, where two and a half million Palestinians live, it's about seven miles by 25 miles. They're on the coast between Egypt and Israel. Israel pulls out, says, we have no interest here. We have no real biblical connection here. You guys live. You guys manage this place, Palestinian Authority. That lasts for about a year and a half. Hamas takes control and effectively a military coup. And for about 16 years now, has controlled the Gaza Strip. I remember that very well because I was working at NBC at the time. I was working on their foreign news desk. And if you know what a newsroom is like, that the desk is where you get all of kind of the raw video before it gets edited and, and put out onto the air that, that you would see if you were watching. And we were getting this video of Ariel Sharon, who was the prime minister at the time, as you mentioned. He was the one who said, Let, let's withdraw all settlements. And it was there was a lot of fear, actually, that there was going to be a civil war within Israel yeah. because you had IDF, you had Israeli troops pulling Israelis from their own homes out of uh, out of Gaza. And you had Israelis that didn't want to leave kind of doing the human chain. And it was really historic to be watching. But eventually they did get all of the Israelis out. There were no more Israeli settlements left in Gaza. So I do think that that's an important point um, because politically speaking, some of the issues that they're dealing with on the ground in Gaza are very different than what they're dealing with in the West Bank. Absolutely. And it was supposed to be a testing ground. Hey, Palestinians, you know, can you manage this mini state here? Uh, and if you can manage it well, as far as the Israeli perspective is concerned, you know, we can expand this into a larger Palestinian state, which is part of the negotiations that were happening that the U.S. was mediating at the time. In fact, I think another deal was offered in 2007. The Palestinians felt was insufficient in terms of uh, the creation of a state. Either way, you know, Hamas controls it. They have this authoritarian, militaristic government. There is uh, no dissent. 
there. Um, most aid that goes there goes in the hands of a very corrupt uh, terrorist regime there that spends more time focused on weapons and tunnels to build those weapons and launch those weapons than taking care of two and a half million poor Palestinian people, impoverished, and you know some of them, you know, uh, several thousand. I think we're up to twenty thousand had work permits to work in Israel, but for the most part, Israel has built a fence around Gaza. Uh, and there's a blockade both from the Egyptians and the Israelis because of Hamas's terrorist activity. And who suffers during all of that? The Palestinians who live in dire conditions there. But we should note there's a poll last year among the Palestinians who live in Gaza who wanted more of a relationship with Israel. They want to be able to work in Israel. And many disagree with some of Hamas's tactics. Many agree with Hamas's tactics. Uh, and so it's a complex thing getting to your previous question, Palestinians versus Hamas. If you it like this, North Koreans versus Kim Jong-un. Russians versus Vladimir Putin, Afghans, Taliban, Iranians, the mullahs and the Ayatollah. The population is one thing. Some may agree. Some may disagree. The governing authority is another thing, especially when you talk to an authoritarian government. Look, we could talk about this. Um, you know, there's literally thousands of years of history, which I will point out. You have gone over uh, a lot of it on your Instagram <laughs> I, I tried account. to do it. <laughs> I think there's several hundred slides at this point, but I, I, we do have highlights on Mo News Premium on the Instagram. I think we did the 2,000-year history in 25 slides. But there is the question of what happens now, because you've got Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He is promising an unmitigated war on Gaza which has seen repeated rounds of conflict with Israel over the past 15 years. He said in a televised statement, Hamas has launched a cruel and evil war. We will win this war, but it will carry a very heavy price. Does this mean a ground invasion of Gaza? Most likely. Uh, that most likely means more death on both sides. Israeli airstrikes on Gaza have already started. Israel has already called up masses of reservists. And then there's the north, Lebanon's Hezbollah, another terrorist group also backed by Iran. They're already kind of getting involved. They say that they fired missiles and artillery at three sites in um, the Israeli-controlled Golan Heights. So what does go on? And, and to complicate this even further, as we mentioned at the top, Hamas has more than 100 Israeli hostages right now, including some Americans um, and possibly other nationalities as well. Yeah, there's a belief from other countries, even Nepal, Thailand, Germany, etc., that other nationalities have been taken hostage among those 130 or so hostages. Even Hamas has said, we can't account for all the hostages that we took. Some Palestinian civilians got involved in taking Israeli hostages because it became so easy on Saturday. And so that's the urgent matter for the Israelis, how they declare this war, how they run this war, what they do in Gaza, given that there's more than 100, many civilians, children, elderly in the Gaza Strip. Now, keep in mind, Israel for years has never wanted to even let one soldier not come home. And it has meant huge prisoner exchanges in the past. There was one infamous one uh, more than 10 years ago where Israel exchanged more than a thousand Palestinian militants from their prisons for one Israeli soldier named Gilad Shalit. That was very controversial. And since then, Israel has not been prone to do that. In fact, there's a couple uh, Israelis that have been held hostage for a couple years now in Gaza. But what do you do when it's civilians? What do you do when potentially this week Hamas puts out videos of people desperately pleading for the Israeli government to do stuff? Uh, to give up prisoners so they can come home. There's going to be a lot of potential psychological warfare here coming from Hamas that will be playing into the Israeli strategy. What do they do, given that they don't want to reoccupy two and a half million Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip? They got out of this game in 2005. So what do they do at the same time having to send a message that the worst tragedy in Israeli history needs to be avenged, needs to be dealt with? 
Hamas can no longer operate the way they they have been. So you have this, you also have an interest internationally, uh, those Americans killed, American hostages, potentially, the kidnapped include Germany, UK, France, Cambodia, Canada, the world is watching this. In many cases, there's global citizens uh, who were a part of this because Hamas, frankly, killed and kidnapped people regardless of their nationality, regardless of their faith. And so where does this go? It could last weeks. It depends on what the Israeli strategy is here. They were taken by such surprise. It sort of feels like after 9-11, Jill, where we weren't sure whether another attack was planned, what, all, what else Al-Qaeda had up its sleeve, and given how shocked they were by what Hamas pulled off on Saturday, what else is part of this? Did they have a step two here? Is there another potential attack plan? What is their long-term game plan here? Do they have one before Israel makes its next move? The Israeli populace is outraged, is in a state of shock. Uh, the Israeli government is embarrassed. And I just want to note this. You know, there's a lot of rhetoric in terms of winning the war, losing the war. The Israelis say they're going to win the war. Hamas says they won this battle. The Israeli people have been massacred. The Israeli government is embarrassed. Hamas, such a short-term gain here militarily for long-term destruction. Uh, it sort of reminds me of Prigozhin and the Wagner group with what they did against Putin. Like, so what's your plan now? Because the other side's much more powerful than you. And then the perennial losers in this conflict, the Palestinian people. If there was any remote chance the Israeli government was going to allow them more autonomy, more jobs, more rights, more aid before this, well, that's over now. Hamas has set this back, if not years, decades, in terms of what they pulled off by creating this national trauma. You know, it turns out that massacring, raping, kidnapping civilians doesn't engender goodwill for Israelis for concessions for peace. And by the way, what Israel is about to do to the Gaza is not going to engender any goodwill among the Palestinian people for peace. So the unfortunate thing here is it looks like it's going to get worse. And I don't know when or if it gets better anytime soon. Sorry to leave you with that, Jill. Sadly, Moshe, I, I think that you're right. Let's leave it there uh, just because we could go on. But uh, at this point, at least, we are kind of setting the stage. This is where things stand uh, as of Sunday night. We'll be back tomorrow with all of the news of the day, including the latest on what's going on um, in Israel and Gaza. Moshe, I'm happy to have you back. <laughs> I really am, especially for a story like this. But I was hoping that we'd be able to have a little bit more fun and, and talk about the baby and fatherhood. But this just wasn't the time. Yeah, we'll we'll get to all of that very soon. Um, I'm looking forward now, Jill, to planning the podcast around both of our uh, baby sleep schedules <laughs> and uh, uh, eating schedules and all of that. Uh, and I do want to say that I appreciate everyone who shared concern over the weekend, uh, who's written in regarding the conflict, but before then, about the baby and amazing parenting tips. And also want to thank you for that amazing fatherhood podcast that you put together. And so thank you all. And just know that uh, we're going to stay on top of this as well as the rest of the news. I know this has dominated the news cycle these past 48 hours, but there's a lot else happening in the world. We'll make sure to be getting to all of that this week as well. And you can uh, expect 24-7 coverage to continue over on the Mo News Instagram account at M-O-S-H-E-H. -E all right. Bye, everybody. Later.